Welcome to the Train Ride Podcast, presented by CTS, a podcast about furthering human performance in endurance sports. Former pro cyclist, Olympian coach, and visionary entrepreneur, Chris Carmichael, founded CTS 20 years ago as the first world-class online coaching solution built to deliver results to pro and amateur athletes. Chris and his team of 50-plus certified coaches are completely driven by innovation and catalyzing new levels of success for thousands of athletes they coach daily. Whether you're a pro or a dedicated time-crunched amateur, you're about to learn exactly what's working best today and what's not to get faster, stronger, and achieve your goals from the most experienced team of coaches working in endurance today. This episode of the Train Right Podcast is brought to you by Stages Cycling, the industry leader in accurate, reliable, and proven power meters and training devices. Stages Cycling offers the widest range of power meter makes and models to fit any bike, any drivetrain, and any rider, all manufactured in their Boulder, Colorado facility. They've expanded their offerings to include the Stages Dash line of innovative and intuitive GPS cycling computers covering a full range of training and workout-specific features to make your workouts go as smooth as possible. And for 2020, Stages is applying its decade of indoor cycling studio expertise to the new Stages Bike Smart Trainer. Check out their latest at stagescycling.com and use the coupon code CTS20OFF, all caps at checkout, for 20% off. This episode is also brought to you by ESI Grips. As coaches here at CTS, we spend many hours on the bike working with athletes at training camps, making the bike equipment we choose to use extremely important. We need equipment that's high quality and built to last. This is why we choose to ride with ESI Grips. Their RCT wrap and mountain bike grips are made in the USA and provide us with the superior comfort, grip, and durability we depend on. We've put ESI grips to the test on long switchback descents, roads riddled with potholes, rough gravel races, and techie Colorado mountain bike trails, and we've always been left impressed. Our friends at ESI grips are giving you 35% off your order with coupon code TRAINRIGHT, all caps. Head over to esigrips.com to get your discount and see why we love their grips so much. This episode of the Train Right Podcast is brought to you by Viome. Viome helps you take control of your health so you can improve your energy, inflammation, and immune system health. Viome's award-winning at-home test measure your cellular, mitochondrial, and microbiome health, giving you powerful insights with over 30 health scores. Then they help nourish you by providing precise whole food and supplement recommendations based on your unique biology at a molecular level. And finally, watch your health scores improve over time by subscribing to your precision supplements, following your food recommendations, and retesting. Viome has partnered with the Mayo Clinic, United Health Group, GSK, and others, and is used by Olympic gold medalists and elite professional athletes. Go to Viome.com and learn how you can get your unique insights for better health and wellness. Use the promo code TRAINRIGHT, all caps, at checkout to save $10 on your first purchase. I haven't met anybody who rides a bike that would 
claim that they have no further need to improve their skills when it comes to handling a bike. So that, that goes for the pro tour riders and the world champion mountain bikers and the world champion Ironman athletes out there and the, the weekend warriors and, and the, the first timers. Right. So that being said, I think that is, it's a skill that we overlook as coaches in terms of the, the technique of how to ride a bike, how to get on wheels and how to corner, how to descend. And so I brought in Josh Whitmore, expert CTS coach, who is the professional of professionals when it comes to uh, teaching how to drive a bicycle. We get into it in this episode, and what we do is we, we, we cue you up to, and give you resources to learn more about where to start if you want to improve your bike handling skills uh, on-road, off-road, and kind of anything in between. And so have a listen. I, I think you'll enjoy it. And also visit our landing page where Josh provides some extra videos and other opportunities for you to connect with him. If you want to do a Zoom call, a virtually distance uh, clinic session while we're in this pandemic, or uh, you know, if you're listening to this down the road and we got a vaccine and everybody's high-fiving again, <laughs> you can schedule something with him and uh, learn how to ride better. So bear with us. It's, it's a unique episode because we're going to talk conceptually about how to do some of these skills and drills, but there's, you know, there's our takeaways where you can apply this right away to what you're doing on and off the bike to better equip yourself when it comes to riding. So, uh, everybody, Josh Whitmore, enjoy the bike skills and drills episode this week on the train ride podcast. Welcome to the Train Right Podcast, or welcome back. Today, we have a, a pretty good episode lined up as we're going to talk about skills and drills, like I already mentioned in the intro. And we have an expert in-house today. He's a fellow CTS coach, and his name is Josh Whitmore. Welcome to the show, Josh. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Adam. I feel uh, quite uh, humbled to be among the esteemed guests that you've had so far on this, uh, on this show. So uh, yeah, glad to be here. Yeah, well, thank you for joining us. Um, before we get into the conversation, can you tell our audience a bit more about yourself? For sure. Yeah, well, compared to all of the famous uh, people that you've had on your podcast so far, I'm, I'm a much less well-known, I would imagine. Um, so uh, yeah, maybe an introduction would be appropriate. Uh, it's my, yeah, my name is Josh Whitmore, and I'm a CTS coach. And the thing that I do with CTS is uh, about two thirds of my work time is coaching athletes, just like Adam does. Um, just, you know, kind of normal, our normal distance coaching thing. I have a stable of athletes that I coach month to month, you know, write out workout plans and help them through those things to, to reach their goals. But uh, one of the unique things that I do with CTS is I spend about a third of my work time doing bicycle skills instruction. Um, and granted, most of that is mountain bike skills instruction, and some of it is cyclocross skills and road skills as well. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's my niche within CTS. Um, so I work mostly out of our Brevard, North Carolina office, and uh, we're really um, excited here that we've got really easy access to amazing terrain to ride bicycles, uh, whether it be on road, there's just miles and miles of quiet roads that snake all through the mountains up and down. And, uh, the trails here are fantastic. We've got a, a large variety of trail, uh, types and 
um, I don't know, trail conditions and things uh, that, um, you know, we can from beginner to expert and everything in between. Uh, and one of the nice things about uh, working out of this office is that we, we certainly can ride year round here. Most of the time, I'm sure there's some days where, uh, you know, it's not as nice as others, but uh, year round riding is generally good here. So, um, so I, in addition to doing in-person skills instruction, in out of our Brevard office, I also travel a little bit to do some skills instruction. So um, sometimes I go to um, with specific athletes and may visit a um, a course venue that they are training for on like a like a course recon, and then we work on some skills on at the course itself. Um, so if, you know. Um, to go scout those things, or uh, I may go to work with a cycling club. Um, that's a common thing to do with um, cyclocross skills. I might do like a cyclocross clinic for a, for a, a whole team or a whole club, um, or just sort of general working with teams in general may bring me in to do, um, you know, as part of a training camp or something to work on skills. So um, yeah, all that combined um, makes up most of my work. New thing, hot off the presses, Adam, is that I am newly hot off the presses. Let's hot hear off it. the presses. Let's hear this is new new news. Is that um, I have uh, just been accepted to become a course conductor uh, for the Professional Mountain Bike Instructor Association. Um, so I'm currently working Dude, through that's the process. Awesome. Yeah, and that's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited yeah. about that. Um, Congratulations! So I'll be um, I'm working through the process now of um, training to to offer courses to certify other mountain bike skills instructors. And so uh, I'd gone through that organization to achieve the you know the higher level certifications myself as an instructor, but training other instructors is also a passion of mine. So I'm I'm um, working towards that at the moment. So that's so cool, Josh. Yeah, truly, congratulations. Uh, we need we need more people uh, like you in the world that can actually uh, teach these skills and, and apply it not only to athletes but to coaches. So uh, that's awesome, man. That's really yeah. Cool. Well, and I'd say that you know the whole bicycle skills instruction world has really you know come off the ground into being like a legitimate profession even, uh, you know, fairly recently. And, you know, it sort of was mostly mountain bike skills instruction was born out of the, uh, the bike park kind of world where ski resorts, you know, in the wintertime transition into, uh, mountain bike parks in the summer. And they have this huge infrastructure for ski instruction in the winter. And, uh, they just transition that right over to mountain bike stuff in the summer. And people, you know, would show up at the resort, uh, you know, and already had in their mind, like, you know, the, the, you know, sort of like if they had gone skiing, it's pretty accepted to take a ski lesson and like, well, can I take a mountain bike lesson? And so they started, uh, really, you know, pushing that and developing that. And then, um, that's where the professional mountain bike instructor association kind of, uh, was born out of, um, to have a, a professional organization and a, a curriculum and a, you know, a certification standard to ensure that mountain bike instructors, uh, are, you know, sort of like have a minimum skill level and are, you know, can ensure good quality. Um, so that's where it came from, but it's becoming more and more, you're seeing mountain bikes clinics and cyclocross skills clinics all over the country now. And, uh, it's, I think it's maybe I've just become more aware of it, but there certainly seems to be more of them. Well, there's, there's definitely more of them. And I, and I think one of the big premise of this episode, one of the reasons why I wanted to actually do this was to inform people that it is a thing. <laughs> because a lot of people, you know, we've been riding bikes since we're, you know, three, four, five years old. That's when we learn. And, and some people, you know, take it beyond there. Some people pick it back up or whatever, but it's a, it's a thing. It's an activity and it's a vehicle that people are very familiar with. However, very few people know where to go or how to acquire the next level uh, technique to kind of enhance their experience with it. You know, yeah. it's a very, it's a very strange thing, in my opinion. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, you think about how you learned how to ride a bicycle or how you learned how to mountain bike. And most of the time you, you just, you know, learn by doing, you go out and trial and error right. and, uh, you, you kind of pick it up as you go and maybe you get some tips and from your friends or maybe you've watched a YouTube video about a specific thing. I, you know, I got to tell you that a lot of tips that you get from your friends and a lot of YouTube videos out there are garbage for instruction. There's a lot of good stuff out there too, but you know, the, the ability to weed, you know, between the, the good stuff and the bad stuff is sometimes frustrating. Um, but yeah, to be able to work with an instructor to, that can really hone in on you specifically. And, and I think that's what, where skills instruction really falls in with the CTS model of, um, you're working individually with a coach in the feedback loop that goes into, um, designing something that's specifically for you and where you are at, and then having the coach feedback loop as a part of that to be able to help you develop in the most efficient way possible for the things that you need to develop the most, um, is really important. Um, yeah, you can watch some good videos and, and imitate it, but, uh, you know, is that what you need? You know, it, it's, it's sort of, um, you know, might be, that might be similar to like buying a, a static training plan, you know, that could be too easy for you or too hard for you, or what do you do when you miss a day or, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, right. Yeah. So it's some of the landscape of the skills instruction world these days. Yeah, no, I, I like that. And I think to tell our audience kind of a bit more about yourself, it, it will make it help, very helpful because, <laughs> Uh, one thing, one thing that Josh has, and I'll, I'll cue it up here in just a second, but he has a very unique background in leading people, teaching people in the wilderness, as well as coaching people with what he does now, which is why I think kind of this teaching of skills on a mountain bike and mixed terrain type stuff is, this is why I'm interviewing him. So Josh, can you tell the audience like how you got into all of this? Just like high level real quick. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I tell people that uh, I have, I've had three careers in my life, and I feel like that the you know I'm now on my third career of coaching and doing the skills instruction world, and I feel like that my previous experience has uh, you know coalesced into uh, being um, you know lending um, a lot of I guess uh, background and experience to what I do now. And so I tell people my first career was I was a professional bicycle racer, and uh, this was back in the kind of the mid '90s, and I was part of the Olympic development program for the mountain biking being introduced to the Olympics in 96. Um, I never made it to the Olympics and I wasn't, I wasn't that good, but I did, uh, spend, you know, several years racing as a professional mountain bike racer and did several guest appearances in pro road race stuff. Um, and I found that my genetic aptitude for racing at the highest level in the country or the world was, was somewhat limited. Um, uh, there, that was, a, as if you know about the sport, that is also a time, a sort of a dark time in professional and cycling history. So there may have been other reasons for that. Let's put it there. But, um, you know, uh, so I, I found that I needed to, um, enhance every single aspect other than fitness, <laughs> including fitness, uh, for me <laughs> to be able to compete at the highest level. And, and I'm not talking about doping. I, I chose not to be a doper. Um, however, uh, you know, I was, if I could maximize my fitness, that was part of it, but what else makes up performance in general? What other components? And, uh, you know, you've been covering a lot of these, you know, in, in other podcasts, you know, what are the, what are the different aspects of performance and certainly skills and, uh, skill drive bike driving skills were a big part of that, especially in mountain bike racing. And especially in the nineties when we were riding very limited, uh, ability equipment. Um, so yeah, I'm totally found that I needed to, uh, to develop that in myself. And I quickly became known as, as being a really good skills rider. Um, I got out of professional racing and then, uh, went into outdoor education. And so, uh, I have an, 
both a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in outdoor education. And I uh, was a Knowles instructor and an outbound instructor. And then I also guided a lot of mountaineering trips, um, sort of worked as a mountain guide, uh, sort of all over the world. I, I kind of make the rounds between South America and Patagonia and then all the way to Alaska, uh, you know, in the opposite summers. And uh, so, you know, I'd, I think I've got over 2000 days in the field on courses of five weeks or more. <laughs> um, wow. So, uh, yeah, which was an amazing, um, opportunity to spend some, a lot of time in really remote places. And, uh, you know, and, and my primary, you know, function at that point was to teach, uh, students, you know, mountain skills and to, you know, keep them safe and keep them from hurting themselves and, you know, in, in really remote and dangerous environments. Um, both with those organizations with Outward Bound and with Knowles, I also, uh, transitioned into being a staff instructor. So I was training other staff to be instructors, uh, so, and then I also worked at a university for a while. I ran the outdoor programs at a university. Um, but yeah, the full-time field work has its lifespan. It's amazing to do, but you know, um, when you're 300 plus nights a year in a sleeping bag, it's really nice to eventually transition to a more of a, a day job home life kind of situation. So that's where I am now mm-hmm. in my third career as a, as a coach and back to cycling and, um, and, and really loving it. Yeah. No, that's great. So as our audience can tell, I mean, very diverse background, but it's been very, uh, very honed in on teaching skills in <laughs> multiple different environments. And uh, so this guy knows what he's talking about. But because a lot of you, our audience is tuning into this while listening, I want to talk like high level uh, about these skills and techniques and then partner it with some videos that we'll have in addition to this podcast. So kind of the first is getting you to uh, learn how Josh thinks and teaches these skills and then provide additional resources. So uh, like I said, at at the very beginning of this, this is going to be a different episode, but like put, you know, (laughs) listen in and and, uh, keep an open mind as we get going here. So Josh, I'll say this, like, you know, we already touched on why bike skills are so so important, but let's talk like terrain neutral and let's talk about like the main reason of why becoming a better bike rider really improves performance. Yeah. Uh, well, I think it's probably more obvious in the off-road disciplines. You know, you can think of mountain biking as a prime example of that, that there's a high level of bike driving skill component to performance that, you know, if you could, you probably can even uh, think of somebody in your brain. We all know this person that is, uh, has all the fitness in the world and can go uphill on a smooth road faster than anybody else, but point them downhill on a mountain bike and they're hopeless. Um, and so, you know, that, that sort of speaks to an example of, of, you know, well, what's the X factor there, you know, like where, where are they, what are they most lacking? Like they have all the fitness in the world, but um, you know, don't have the skill ability to be able to operate the bicycle through the terrain that they're faced with. Um, so I think it's pretty yep. obvious to, to, to think about that in a mountain bike world or even cyclocross, you know, um, you know, we have conditions in cyclocross are pretty variable. And one of the things in cyclocross that's pretty fascinating to me is that with a limited equipment, you know, you've got a limited tire size and a, and a bicycle that's, um, not a mountain bike. And sometimes you're riding it through mountain bike terrain where a mountain bike would maybe better, but you're limited to that, to that specific equipment. So you're trying to do a lot with a, with a tool that's not quite the right for the job. Um, most of the time it is the right tool, but you, know, even when you get into road and triathlon, uh, you know, other, other disciplines, um, you know, there is still a, a high level of skill and component. And 
you know, it could be cornering and, you know, for instance, like analyzing files from race teams in criteriums, you know, professional race teams that are racing criteriums, uh, you know, you can tease out differences in power files, even based on people's skill level. And so, you know, some riders that uh, slow down more in turns and then have to accelerate faster or harder out of the turn versus a rider that goes through a turn um, and carries more speed and is, doesn't have to accelerate as quickly out of it. Uh, you know, that, you know, a couple of times in a race isn't a big deal, but in your criterium, you know, you may do that hundreds of times and that's going to add up. And so the rider that's more efficient with that, uh, that transition around a turn is going to be, uh, going to save their bullets for when they need to fire them off. And when the fireworks are happening in the critical part of the race. Um, I mean, that's just an example. Yeah. That, that's just, yeah, you know, it's a wonderful example. And I, and I think that to paint that even more, it's like if you're in that race setting and there's the guy that kind of dangles off anytime that there's a technical thing, but then you get on the hill climb or a girl and they're they're coming up and then they're, they actually start leading the charge for a little bit. And then all of a sudden the technical bit comes and then they're off the back and then they come back up and they, they keep on dangling back and forth. It's very inefficient. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and you say, and then all of a sudden say they even fade or they're not there, you know, for that, that time for the sprint or the critical moment. Like, as you said, if you're one of those people like tune in, right. Cause you'll learn something if, but if you're one of those technical people, um, you know, in, in that race setting as well, I would still argue that you could, you could bring it back down to the basics and benefit from this because I haven't met an athlete where you do some of these basic skills and they become more confident of their own ability with two wheels, you know, between their legs, so to speak with, uh, just having more fun on a bicycle to realizing that it's okay to, uh, play on a bicycle. And there's a safety aspect to it as well. That's important in the way that if you are a more confident and stable rider in general on any bike, you are going to be able to handle a, a, a wider variety of scenarios that come your way that, that may be unexpected, um, you know, in a race scenario or just a traffic scenario, <laughs> or, you know, yeah, you're flying around point. a turn and there's a two by four across your lane. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, right. like, like, what do you do? You know? And, um, and so the, the, the more skilled you're able to do or able to be, you know, you, you think about like, like Peter Sagan or somebody like that, who, you know, like pulls off these amazing stunts, you know, when faced with a crash in front of them, Perry Roubaix, um, you know, like you guarantee that man has some, some bike driving skills to allow him to be able to do this matrix, you know, type of maneuver to avoid his face and hitting the cobbles. Right. Um, and so I think that the, the safety aspect of it is also important, you know, beyond the performance aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. Very good point. Very good point. So let, so let's talk about some of these basics and in discussing with you and framing up this conversation, one thing that really stood out to me in the way you teach is when we're talking about concepts and in there, you talk about the difference between a skill and a maneuver. Could you explain to your audience what each is and then the difference between the two? Great. Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, yeah. And I think for the, the, you know, the purpose of this podcast, I would love to introduce folks to some of the concepts that, uh, we are uh, typically using in the skills instruction world. And, uh, hopefully it'll be enough of a teaser that, um, for one, you'll be able to learn some stuff that you'll be able to do on your own and think about on your own, but then, um, also just kind of have a greater understanding of what, uh, you know, 
kind of the methodology that we're using um, in that world. So yeah, the difference between a skill and maneuver. Um, so we, we tend to break things down into individual skill components and, and a skill itself is really the, it's a, it's a fundamental component of, of driving the bike. And it could be something that's, that's uh, not any combination of movements or anything. It's a single skill. So things like pushing or pulling on the handlebar at a specific time, operating a, a brake lever in a specific way in a specific mount, um, moving your body in relationship to the bike at certain times. So that, that specific um, individual component is, is what we're going to call a skill. Now we combine those skills. We can combine those things into a maneuver and a maneuver uh, would be something like cornering and cornering is a maneuver that's made up of a lot of individual skill components. Yeah. There's probably braking involved. There's going to be body movement involved. There's going to be a whole host of things that's going to, that's going to happen to go into that maneuver. So what we like to do is uh, we pick things, we'll pick a specific skill and we design some drills to be able to um, to work on that specific skill and really hone in on it, uh, develop that skill by itself in a somewhat non-challenging environment. So we want to do it in a work on that skill where you know you're not afraid for your life, right? You want to do it in a way that you can actually like <laughs> apply it, experiment with it, um, and not be afraid that so you're, you're, gonna, you're like, not you're not like jumping over a crocodile pond or anything like that while you're doing no. these things. No, not, not for okay. like working on the skill stuff for sure. So, cro- crocodile ponds are, are, uh, that's, that's on level three. That's later on. No. Um, okay, got it. Okay. <laughs> so, so then we, we can see improvement in those individual skill and give feedback of that individual skill component. And then we start to combine them back into the maneuvers. And, uh, and then, you know, once there's some mastery involved with the skill component, then it becomes more, um, I guess automatic. So, you know, there's the whole concept of, uh, you know, conscious competence and unconscious competence and that whole scale. Um, and I'm not sure if people are familiar with that, that model, but you know, at the beginning, when you're learning a skill thing, you have to be very, very conscious of how you do it. And it's, it's like, a, um, you know, it's a very, um, I guess, um, you know, deliberate and thought pattern. Uh, you know, it's like, I have to do A, B, C, and D, and you have to think through that and operate that, and then once you be, gather some mastery, it becomes sort of a, you develop sort of an unconscious competence with that, where you, um, you can do those steps without having to consciously think about each of those steps. And it just happens. Uh, and then, you know, once we start developing that, then we can blend them together into these maneuvers. So um, that's the skill in the maneuver business and that, in that whole concept. Got it. Got it. So skill is the more simplistic aspect of say braking or even somewhat like moving on a bike whereas the maneuver is the cornering descending braking and uh hucking gaps and things like that that's that's what you're talking about yeah a combination of combination of skills is a maneuver for sure so got it got it so just curious when you're working with an athlete say face to face pre covid-19 um do you come across the breaking of bad habits? Yeah, it, while you're teaching oh, some of these skills and maneuvers, for sure. Um, yeah, one of the one of the um, common things that I see is that uh, yeah, people have learned a method to do to accomplish something that um, is that works, but it might not be the best way uh, to further progress. So they sort of reach a plateau with it. Uh, and then it, that's becomes a barrier for them to keep progressing. So like, let's say, um, you know, let's pick, pick a specific, uh, skill on a mountain bike, like getting the front wheel over, a, a over a log or up a step, 
like a front wheel lift. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that maybe they, they've developed a methodology on their own that allows them to get the wheel off the ground a certain amount, but there's a, a ceiling to that. And so then they, uh, you know, need sometimes need to unlearn the, their, the way that they've done it and mm-hmm. relearn it a different way so that they can progress farther. Um, so uh, most folks uh, that I start with, even, even when I work with professional gravity athletes, you know, like people that are earning a living going downhill fast on a mountain bike, uh, you know, we start right at the beginning with super basics and yeah, they can progress through the yeah. progression like very quickly because they, they have a level of a mastery that, that, you know, more beginner riders do not. Um, but, uh, to be able to concentrate on that very beginner, or I guess the, the entry level piece of it first, you know, build it up kind of like a, like a, you know, a, a cake basically, you know, like, uh, start with a, you got to start a pyramid, you know, start with the, the base of the pyramid first and, um, layer it up from there. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's good. And having that open mind, if you want to improve basically in everything, let alone bike skills, it is probably the biggest uh, aspect to, to have when you come in and, and try to improve on, um, a lot of this kind of stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and a lot of it may even be just having a common language around, um, the skills themselves. So, you know, even very accomplished and advanced riders, you know, may have never really thought about how they go over a rock drop or how did they actually get the bike to go over that log that they just rode over? Like they, they can do yeah, it. Totally. But if they had to, to, to write a paragraph about all of the skill steps that, you know, that went into going, riding over that log, they would be, they'd be kind of lost. They'd be like, well, I just did it. <laughs> you know? It's mm-hmm. like, okay, well, let's back up and like, let's analyze each little part and then see if there's room to improve or feedback to give, um, for each of those little parts. So in there, you, you mentioned skills pyramid and you mentioned kind of this methodology, uh, could you could you tell the audience and myself more about the skills pyramid and, and how you build that into your curriculum? Yeah, for sure. Um, so one of the main concepts we work with is is sort of an order of priority uh, of of I guess um, categories of skills. And if you think about it like a pyramid, that you have to build a, a big foundation or a nice foundation, spend a lot of time in the foundation, the the base layer of that pyramid. Uh, and then, you know, the next layer goes on top of that and, you know, vice versa, you know, it goes up, you know, to a point on the top. Um, so right. that, think about that as, a, as the skills pyramid. Now, what are the layers of the pyramid? Well, at the very base, the base of everything, the most important um, and um, basic uh, part of all of all skills is body position and balance. So um, you can get a lot of other things wrong. <laughs> As long as your if your body position is correct, then you can you can make some mistakes in other categories uh, and still survive, <laughs> still do quite well. And but you know Got if it. you uh, if your body position is not correct, then that's that can is automatically a problem. So um, so we start we spend a lot of time um, thinking about body position and drilling on that. The next layer up from that is operation and control. So that's things like braking and shifting. Uh, the third layer up is, is terrain awareness. So that's being able to scan the terrain ahead of you and um, be able to interpret the the terrain, um, you know, sort of like gathering data and then uh, applying that data like what, okay, I see that. And so that means that I need to do A, B, C, and D. Um, that's terrain awareness. Uh, the fourth level up is direction control. And, you know, that's cornering and 
otherwise, you know, changing direction of the bicycle. And there's, you know, some other ways to do that when, you know, like we're talking about nose pivots and rear wheel pivots and just like some different ways to, to change the direction of the, of the bicycle, but direction control. Uh, and then the, the top of the pyramid is the fifth layer and that's timing and coordination and being able to do things, um, in a coordinated way in, in the correct order, uh, in, you know, time it correctly and, and to be able to do that, you know, if you're trying to go for speed, then being able to do that in rapid succession quickly. Uh, so, those are, those are the layers of the pyramid. And so we, we mostly start, we blend a lot of those together at the same time that, uh, but when we're looking at, um, like let's say I'm analyzing someone doing something, performing a skill or practicing a skill, um, I'm going to spend a lot of time coaching them on their body position and as the foundation. And then, um, you know, once they get that correct, then we can kind of, um, you know, move up the, up the, the levels to, uh, you know, to the other skill, skill levels of the pyramid. Does that make sense? Got it. Yeah, it does make sense. And just to kind of clarify, say an athlete would come to you for a one-on-one or a group or whatever, would you touch on all five of those layers within one session? Or would you kind of start with one and two and then schedule another session? Or how, how would that work if somebody would to come to you and, and, and want that teaching? Yeah, that's completely custom. So, and, it, and a lot of that's going to depend it. on what, where they're at and what they need to work on most. So, um, you know, I always start with a, you know, before the session starts, you know, with some kind of an interview of, of trying to understand what their experience is and what their goals are with it and what they're trying to do. And then, uh, you know, and then start in with some of the basics and then as the, the, you know, which is going to include a lot of body position stuff. And then, as they uh, demonstrate competence or or demonstrate need for improvement, <laughs> then we focus on that more, or we can uh, blend in things from higher in the pyramid, um, depending on where they are. So it's completely dependent on on how they master um, you know certain aspects of it. But we can't move ahead to um, to like really the nuances of direction control if their if their body position aspect of that isn't if they if they're not able to execute that correctly does that make sense so got it yeah yeah yeah. we got to like solve one before we move up but you know at that same time like you know there's blending in there too and i mean like when you're talking about cornering um there's aspects of several things that go into the maneuver of cornering yeah that you think like okay that's direction control but that's also, there's a ton of body positioning and cornering. There's a ton of operation of controls and that thing. You know, there's terrain awareness of like what line you're going to pick as you go around. Um, you've got to time and coordinate all of that with the the terrain that's in front of you, you know, hitting the brakes at the right time and the right ratios and, you know, all those things. So there's, there's aspects of all of those concepts um, or all of those th- pieces in, in like in every maneuver. Um, but it's just kind of like what we want to focus on first. And so as they master one aspect of it, then we can... Um, you know, so like if we're in teaching cornering for, for instance, then we're going to start with body positioning, get, get some, split that out into its own little skill, work on that, drill that, get that down. We're looking pretty good. And then, okay, now we'll move up the, the pyramid operation controls. Let's, let's talk about breaking for cornering and let's, uh, you know, work on that specifically and then add those two together. Okay. Here's breaking and body positioning for a corner, you know, so, um, that's kind of how yep. it works. Okay. Well, since you, since you mentioned body positioning so much and I, let's, let's drill down a little bit on that because it could be something that our audience members could practice on their own. 
But let's first explain it a little bit more. You mentioned that there's four dimensions to body positioning. Could you explain those to us? Yeah, for sure. And, and uh, yes, yeah, so this is another concept that's uh, fairly universal in that um, – Maybe to back up one step in that here's a, here's a key takeaway for everybody is that the key to, for any rider at any level, the key for them to progress their skill ability, um, to become more proficient with their bike driving skills is going to be to, um, increase their comfortable range of motion of bike body separation. Okay. So we think about the, the body and the bike being, are uh, you being able to move your body in relationship to the bike in four dimensions? And this is what you're talking about. Okay. So, um, here are the four dimensions, different ways you can move in relation to your body in relation to the bike. You can move fore and aft. So you can, uh, you know, you can scoot farther forward or, or move your center of mass farther back in relationship to the bike. That's one. Second one is up and down. You can get farther away from the center of the bike or closer to the tires. Okay. So that, that's a, that's a second one. Uh, a third, um, dimension is side to side or like a lateral motion. So, you know, moving farther out to the left of the bike or moving farther to the right of the bike. Uh, and then the fourth dimension is a rotational aspect. Uh, you know, so, you know, typically when we're riding and sitting on the, on the seat and have our hands on the handlebars, your hips are square to the bike and the hand, your hands, you know, there's like kind of a box between your, you know, your hands on the handlebars, your shoulders and your hips are all kind of like in this uh, you know, all like right angles are basically, you know, it's all sort of like a, like a box. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, rotational aspect is, can you rotate your, your, um, your hips or your shoulders in relationship to the direction of the bike? So, um, that's the rotational aspect. So we all, no matter your skill level, all of us have uh, a range of motion in all of those dimensions that we're pretty comfortable Okay, so we all move up and down and back and forth and side to side and do a little bit of rotation when we are riding all bikes, all different kinds of bikes. Um, however, the so the back to my like sort of like key takeaway is that uh, if you can increase that comfortable range of motion, uh, you're going to be able to handle a, a wider variety of terrain and uh, more. Um, you're just going to be comfortable in a wider range of scenarios. So um, basically, uh, you know, you think about um, you know, the bike, the, the, how the bike steers and how it balances changes as you move your center of mass, uh, around those dimensions. So, you know, certainly if you lean the bike way over and get your center of mass, like way off to the left of the bike, uh, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna steer quite differently than if you're sitting square on top of it. Um, you know, the balance of the bike and the operation of the bike, um, in that way, and the stability of it is going to be different. So, uh, we all feel pretty stable and, and kind of a small, usually a small range of motion, but, um, you know, to, to be able to work, you know, e- expand that range of motion to be more comfortable is the key. Um, does that yeah. make sense? It, yeah, it makes, it makes complete sense. And I think for our listeners too, this would be a time where say, if you're listening to, to this podcast, uh, at a computer or something like that, now is a time to f- start flipping to those videos because Josh will have resources there to, uh, start with body positioning and just simple little skills. And, and we, we kind of joked about like doing this in a safe environment, but um, when I've taught these before and Josh similar uh, for some of these body position stuff, we're doing this in the grass. So if there's a, a tumble or you topple over, which is actually a good thing because you're learning, you, you just fall right in the grass. Am I, am I right, Josh? That's the safe environment you're talking about. Yeah. That, yeah. Grass is appropriate. Um, you know, basically what, you know, depending on the skill level of the rider, we, we need to make the environment for learning 
be conducive to actual learning. So, um, you know, if you are, um, you know, have a fear response in some way, uh, then, you know, you sort of initiate that, you know, fight or fight, what is it? Fight or flight. I'm trouble saying Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, kind of response then, uh, you know, what happens to the body when you have that, that kind of fear response, you get tense, uh, you're super tense, you get very like conservative, you know, um, and you know, guess what, how, how do you think that, uh, that works with your range of motion over the bicycle, right? That's going to, uh, you know, it's going to yeah. limit your range of motion over the bike and we're trying to get you to be more free and more comfortable in a, in a wider range. So, um, so the most important thing is that we got to, we got to remove the, or have an environment that is not challenging when, when you're working on a specific skill, it's got to be in an environment that is not so challenging that it causes a fear response. Now, that's going to look different for different people. Um, you know, for some riders, uh, you know, and I've worked with some, you know, some road riders that have never ridden their road bike in grass before, and that may be intimidating for them. And so then they have a, it's, you know, it's squishy and it doesn't feel like turning on the pavement. Their, you know, their handlebars don't like, you, you know, so that, that may be different enough for them that that's like, you know, it'd be better to just do it in a paved parking lot or something. Um, so, you know, just reading each rider, you know, whereas like, you know, working with like world cup downhill races or something, you know, then, okay, we're going to work on breaking and we're going to do it down this like mega chunky rock garden. That's, you know, a 45 degree slope, you know, so, and, that, and that's in, that's in their comfort zone. You know, they're like, okay, yeah, sure. Whatever. I was going to say that's, that's the happy spot right there. That's right. the happy zone. <laughs> right. You know, we're, um, okay. So for, for our listeners, like listening to this and they're like, okay, Josh, I want to try some of this stuff. I'm going to watch your video. Like what, what bike should they do it on and say, if it is that roadie, do, do you do it in the pavement parking lot? Like where do people start with this? If they flip open the the YouTube and start watching you? Yeah. You know, I think, um, any bike that any bike works. So, uh, you know, I think that some of this stuff is going to be more geared towards mountain biking. Um, but I think a lot of it works on any bike, you know, so their, mm-hmm. their road bike or their gravel bike or, or whatever, um, they can, there's things that they can do, um, you know, with, with any bike. bike. Yeah. Try bike, man. I'll tell you what I have. Some of the most scared times I've ever been on a bicycle have been like mm-hmm. fully tucked on aero bars on a tri bike going like a gazillion oh, miles yeah, an hour sure. down a hill and like trying to navigate around <laughs> turns or like a gust of wind, like a, you know, comes by and then, you know, you got a, this huge wheels that, ca- you know, like you better believe that if you can, if you are stable and comfortable in a wide variety of uh, conditions on a time trial bike or a, t- or a tri bike, you're going to be able to put out power um, more often or more consistently um, and not back off the pedals. And your time is going to be less on that bike, the more comfortable or the more confident you are on it. So, um, so yeah, I'd say, you know, yeah, some of this stuff is going to be more suited to mountain bike. I mean, you're not going to be doing like front wheel lifts on your triathlon bike, but, um, you know, but you can, for sure. That's kind of my point. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, but there are things that, but I would like to, in the video, you know, in some of the, uh, in the video stuff, there's stuff I'd, I'd like to do that would be kind of like bike, you know, not so bike dependent. So, you know, I think there's things you can work on on yeah. any bike. Okay. Okay. Very cool. Um, and should we, should we do these clipped in clipped out? Like where are we on the, uh, attachment to the bike situation? Yeah. You know, that's a big debate in the, um, in kind of the mountain bike world of, you know, should I ride cliplet, you know, ride, you know, clip shoes or should I ride flats or, or what? And, um, right. so, you know, my answer to that is that, uh, you know, it's essentially whatever you're comfortable with. There are advantages and disadvantages to both. Um, 
you know, if you uh, feel very comfortable and unclipping and not falling, you're not, <laughs> not falling over because your foot's attached to the pedal and you can't get it out in time, then, you know, certainly staying clipped in, uh, allows you to have, uh, more control. Uh, you can push and pull the pedals or the bike around a little bit more. Um, you know, flats obviously allow you to, to jettison your feet off of them very quickly. Um, so I, you know, it, it could be is, uh, so I think again, that's situational. I think you can, um, you can make do with whatever you've got really. I don't think that I think it's whatever you're used to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's the, that's the most appropriate ways. Like start with what you're used to. And, uh, if you, if you want to be conservative, you can even, you could take the road bike out on the, whatever pedals you have and potentially, you know, um, wear your own road shoes to start with. If that's not feeling good, bring a pair of sneakers and you can quickly convert over something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you're doing some, some one, like, you know, some a cornering drills in a parking lot with some cones or something and you're some like, you know, tight turn kind of stuff on a road bike on a paved parking lot. Yeah. You could do that fine with a, with a running shoe just on top of a, you know, a road pedal. Um, you know, that'd be just fine. All When you start getting into needing to maneuver the, the bike a little bit, you know, then sure. you gotta, yeah. So anyway, that, yeah, that, for sure. all that works fine. Yeah. How about, um, should people do this? Like, pre-training ride post-training ride or in addition to a training ride or how should people weave this into their normal training or is it just or is it just not a training ride they just need to go out and do it well again i think it's it's all the above um (laughs) so i think there are opportunities to do it at in in all all modes so um one of the common things i find with racers or people that are doing that are doing a lot of fitness training you know following training plans is that they often don't spend enough time dedicated to developing skills that um, it's really easy for them to go out and, you know, do intervals based on their power meter and whatever else and do, you know, try to go fast and all that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, it's a little harder for them to have structure built around uh, doing skills drills. And so, um, you know, if it's something that they can add into a warm up or after a workout uh, is completely appropriate or even separate, like, uh, you know, just, um, you know, go out for your training ride in the morning or whatever. And then in the evening, like you set up some stuff in your driveway and play with, you know, the kids are out in the yard and you like dink around on your bike in the driveway and with the kids and, you know, you can, you can do it separately or like a recovery ride. You can make easily make a recovery ride, a skill session and just go to the park and work on specific stuff. Or, um, I mean, that's a great use of, of a recovery ride as well. So all that works. I, I, but the, the important thing to, to get out of that, I think, is that you've got to be intentional about uh, this is my skills practice time. And these are the things that I'm going to do during that time, um, rather than trying to do it kind of like along the way during your interval. <laughs> Does that make yeah. sense? <laughs> Um, yeah, completely makes sense. So I've been doing some of this with my athletes and I just say, lose the spandex, go to the park or go to the parking lot, you know, with the kid and, and set up some cones and, and do X, Y, Z. And that's kind of sets the mental stage to, this is not a workout necessarily. Yeah. Um, so you can be fully present. So, um, so Josh, like before, you know, before COVID-19 and all this kind of stuff, you were doing a lot of face-to-face skills teaching and whatnot. Um, we'll talk about that here in a minute, but like, are you doing this virtually right now? Is that a thing? Can people do that or how does that look? Yeah. You know, we're starting to experiment a little bit with that. You know, luckily I think that now Mm -hmm. we're getting towards the end of May. Um, 
and near the beginning of June. Uh, that's looking like we're going to be able to get back to in-person work pretty soon. Um, you know, like there's companies are, you know, including CTS have been working really hard to develop, uh, you know, our own risk management strategies when working with customers face to face. And, um, you know, so we're, we're starting to implement some of those policies and as, you know, things, um, loosen up with restrictions for travel and that sort of thing that we'll be able to implement those, uh, risk management, you know, practices and, and start to be able to work with people face to face, um, you know, I can prefer to work with people face to face, obviously, um, you know, that's much more efficient that way. However, we are starting to I do some, I guess, like sort of distance analyzing of folks skills um, already. And then I'm, I'm starting to experiment a little bit with some some technology that would allow that to happen a little better. So, for instance, my regular coached athletes that I'm uh, you know coaching month to month you know, that may live in other places. Uh, it's really easy for them to, you know, film themselves, take a video of them doing a specific thing, uh, and then sending me the video, and then I can, you know, provide some feedback for it. You know, I might even send them out with a specific um, list of things to accomplish, like do this and this and this, take a video of it, send me the videos, and then I can provide some some um, some commentary. Um, there's a, a a new software uh, called OnForm that uh, one of the founders of Training Peaks has developed. That is a video analyzing software package that uh, allows um, more. I just eases the whole process of video analyzing. I can draw on it and measure angles, and I can like do voiceovers, and I can do slow mos and record the whole thing, and you know, like write on it and all that kind of thing. So it it uh, sort of improves that process a little bit. I got to tell you though, it's clunky. Like the the distance skills coaching stuff, um, the feedback loop is much slower. So the iterations that you can go through, you know, in person, like, okay, do this. Okay. We'll try it this way next time. All right. You did it. All right. We'll try and, you know, okay, here, tweak this a little bit. You know, you can go through a lot of iterations really quickly. You're like passing video back and forth. It's like, you know, it's just slow. So, um, yeah. Yeah. But well, uh, knowing, knowing gear Fisher, it'll probably speed up quickly. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and there's some real time yeah. kind of, uh, opportunities there, you know, that maybe in the future, um, I have had athletes uh, sure. specifically at events do that with me that they'll, um, you know, like I'll FaceTime video or something, you know, at a section of the course on the national championship mountain bike course or something, you know, and I have the, you know, mm-hmm. some of their friend like video them going through it. And then, you know, then I chat with them on the phone and, you know, that kind of stuff or on, on FaceTime or something. So there's some, there's a little bit of that that happens, but um, yeah, I mean, face-to-face is, is really the, uh, the most efficient at this point. Okay. So when this, when this podcast or when this episode of the podcast launches, it'll probably be mid to late June. And hopefully, I mean, fingers crossed, we're, we're getting out of this thing with to where we can with COVID-19 policies in place, do some face-to-face work. But if people hear this and they want to, they want to, um, schedule a session with you, uh, how would they do that? Oh yeah. We've got, um, a page on the, uh, train, right webpage uh so trainride.com mm-hmm. um and i think it's under the camps tab and it's called mountain bike skills instruction or mountain bike skills clinics or something like that um so that's the easiest way to do it um yeah just to do that and then uh eventually i think next year for 2021 there will be i'll start to be offering the the if folks want to become skills instructors themselves then uh i'm going to be start offering courses you know through the professional mountain bike instructor association um here in the brevard area um so that would be on the pmbia website eventually so um yeah those methods 
Yeah, that's no, that's awesome. And and I will say I am biased to the Brevard area is still one of my favorite places to work and ride. Uh, working out of the the um, CTS center down there for some camps has been it, as well as uh, racing the Pisca stage race, which was just amazing. All the single track that you could want in six days. So uh, it's a beautiful place. Josh is in a location uh, to not only just uh, you know teach all the the best skills, but also do it in a pretty darn cool environment. That's beautiful riding. So, um, I'd highly encourage anybody that is thinking about doing this. I mean, connect with Josh. And if, if it's not Josh connect, he can connect you with, um, other people that will be well set up with, with the skills and techniques. So, um, just a small plug for that, Josh. Uh, and then what we'll do is we'll also, um, we'll also link to, that landing page for the skills on the train right podcast. So that'll be quick for anybody that's listening. Like, okay, let's just go there. Um, but again, because we're, we're talking about something that's so like different with the skills and drills, I, I really encourage people to go check out some of those videos there. But most importantly is like, get, get to the mindset where you realize that getting better, technically on a bike doesn't have to be scary and in fact it's it's kind of the opposite where you get to play right and and i think it's so fun when you can get somebody who's been riding and and say racing or whatever for so many years to have them take a step back focus on the basics and realize that doing this is actually going to make them not only faster but have a, a a more fun experience overall yeah. And I would say it's not just for, for performance oriented riders either that, um, I certainly get lots and lots of folks that, you know, have, have no inclination to do any kind of event of any sort, or don't particularly yeah, care yeah. how quickly they pedal up any hill, but they want to be able to have more fun on their bicycle or their mountain bike, um, and feel more confident in a wider variety of terrain. And, um, you know, that is an end in itself that their, their improvement and, uh, their things that they're working towards their goals are, you know, riding, you know, more aggressive terrain or being more confident in, you know, in a wider variety of terrain and that sort of thing, you know, but aren't necessarily trying to, yeah, like <laughs> win any races or do any events or anything. So, uh, yeah, yeah, a hundred percent agree. Well, Josh, before we wrap and I let you go, I've got three questions for you and some of it's fun and some of it's for our audience, uh, to take something away from this and apply it to their own, uh, training and skills and development. So if you're ready, we'll, we'll get right into it. Let's do it. Cool. So what is your favorite drill to teach? Ooh, um, I'm going to, I'm going to say cornering with that in the way, um, it's complicated. There's a lot that goes into effective cornering, but, uh, you know, if you think about any discipline, the faster mm-hmm. and more efficient that you can go around corners, uh, it's, it's like free speed and free time, uh, in your, you know, in your, so you think about a cycle cross race, you know, if you can go a quarter mile an hour faster around every turn, you're going to do 650 turns in a cycle cross race. Uh, you know, that adds up to like real time. <laughs> so, yeah. um, the whole cornering thing is, uh, it is challenging to teach, uh, and it's challenging to get, but I think that there's, uh, it, with, you know, just a, a, a small set, some small sessions, people really tend to gain a lot of, um, see, we see a lot of improvement very quickly with just a, a few, a few drills. So that's probably my favorite one to teach. Cornering. Okay. Quite question two, 
it's a bit of a curveball for you. Uh, but what would be one skill if you had to distill it down to one skill that you'd say everybody that you've seen and worked with probably needs to work on, or you could even make the blanket statement that everybody who rides bikes probably could benefit from working on this one. What would that skill be? And it could be the same answer as the first. I I have no idea. I'm just throwing it out there. So what is like one skill that you think everybody probably could benefit from working on? Yeah. Um, Well, I mean, going back to our skills pyramid, the body position stuff, uh, you know, the, you know, I'd say that the, and you think about those four, um, I guess, um, the four dimensions, dimensions. Of, of, uh, of bike body separation that we talked about, that the rotational aspect of that is probably the one that people uh, most typically need the most help with and or the most um, mm-hmm. development mm-hmm. with to be intentional with um, with that. Uh, we get pretty locked into our, you know, it's sort of like square hips to the bike kind of thing. And um you know, you start introducing some, some hip rotation into some cornering, even on a triathlon bike. And suddenly like, you know, cornering feels like more stable and they're zipping around turns more, more quickly. Um, so yeah, that would be the, um, be the, you know, working on like a, a rotational aspect of body positioning. And it's probably the, the one aspect that I would say universally that most people, uh, will need, need work on. Got it. Got it. Okay. Final question. What is one quick and simple drill that our listeners right now could take away and apply to what they're doing at home, even if they didn't reach out to you and, and schedule a session? Yeah. You know, I, I like to, people can do things on their own that sort of like force them, you know, into wider ranges of motion of bike body separation. So one quick little thing that uh, you can do is set up uh, you know, I, I call it a tree dodge or, um, you know, it could be, you know, whatever other object you want to want to sub- supplement for that. But, you know, have some kind of an object like, um, you know, I, sometimes I'll do it in my driveway with my bicycle repair stand. I'll haul it out in the driveway or in the yard and set it there, you know, so it's got it's, it's a pole, you know, that uh, that you're trying to to ride around. And, and so the, the whole idea is you're going to ride towards this thing. The wheels are going to go uh, on on one side of it. And you want to ride, try your, the idea is that you're trying to go in a straight line with the tires, but if you did ride in a straight line sitting on the saddle that your hand would hit the the object, like, so like you think like, Mm -hmm. think about a really narrow trail and the, the line that your tires has to take on a narrow trail puts the, if you're upright uh, and sitting on the saddle that your hand would run into the tree. Well, how do you, how do you keep the tires on the ground on that line that the tires have to be on? And then get the handlebar around the tree. Well, that's going to involve you to force you to uh, use some of that lateral and side to side movement um, in that range of motion. So, you know, as you, you know, approach the object, you know, or approach your tree to do the tree dodge, uh, you know, you've got to stand up uh, with level pedals to and, and coast a little bit or, um, or you could do it sitting down, too. Um, but you're a little more effective if you're st- standing up. And then, you know, you're going to push down on one handlebar and, or one grip, lift up on the other one, uh, you know, to, to make the bike um, essentially angulate, angulate um, but your center of mass needs to stay, you know, more upright over the bike, if that makes sense. So that the, it's kind of like, you know, your hand is getting ready to hit the tree, you know, you angle the bike over to the side so that the, the, uh, um, so that the handlebar or your grip, you know, your hand moves um, out of the way of the tree. And then as you clear the tree, then you go back to upright. 
Um, I'm not sure if that was a visual description that people I'm gesticulating wildly with my hands as I describe this. <laughs> I can hear that. I can hear that on that. end. I mean, it's, it's a movement I do non nonstop. I mean, you use that so much when you're in single track. And so, yeah, I totally know what you're doing. And we do that if you're, you know, road race and banging some bars and all that kind of stuff. So I totally get it. And yeah, that's a very applicable, uh, drill. So let's, mm-hmm. let's be sure to throw that one up on the, on the website if we got it. Yeah. And it, you know, another scenario that would be like, you know, you're riding up through the pack in a road on a road bike and, uh, you know, you, you're riding up beside somebody, you know, your, your handlebar just sort of barely misses their hip. Um, and then it kind of goes into right. that space in front of their knee, but behind their handlebar and you need to keep moving forward, <laughs> but you've got to, you've got to angle right. that bike over a little bit to be able to clear the, that handlebar, you know, around their bar, um, or at least get it up beside them. So, um, yeah, yeah that's a scenario there. Yeah. Yeah, I'll make a little video about that. Sounds pretty easy. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Well, Josh, I mean, this is this has been awesome. I mean, I, I think that our listeners will definitely appreciate even, like I said, even at a high level of starting to think of, you know, how to improve their skills on a bicycle and 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 hopefully just start to get them going in the right right, right direction and with the proper resources to uh further that skill development. So thank you for taking time to talk to us on the train, right podcast and uh, be part of the community that we're growing here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm glad to, glad to be out. And again, I'm humbled to be a part of the, uh, your esteemed guest list here. So, um, but yeah, I think no, it's, it's important. just become more esteemed, Josh, it's more <laughs> esteemed now. So <laughs> no, but I, I, I do like the, that the way that you're sort of rounding out different aspects of performance. Um, and you know, so I think that, you know, the, the bigger conversation, the big picture of the, you know, the things that you're covering in pot in the podcast, you know, wouldn't be complete if we didn't at least spend some time on skills acquisition and, and, you know, that part of it as well. So I appreciate the uh, opportunity to, uh, explain some of those things and hopefully gets people thinking about it a little bit and, um, and getting onto their own path of improvement. And, uh, maybe that unlocks some additional free, uh, performance for them that they didn't think that they, or didn't know that they needed. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it. No, I, and I appreciate the kind words. So if, uh, if our listeners want to follow you on, on the socials, where, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm, I'm on Instagram as I am Josh Whitmore. Uh, and you can find me on Facebook too. Uh, and that's, that's about it. I tend not to Twitter. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, and I, and I'm, I'm not a prolific fate or a prolific social user, but I'm, I'm, I lurk around there a little bit. All right. Cool. Very cool. Well, thank you again, Josh and have a great evening. Yeah, man. Thanks. Thanks for joining us this week on the train, right? Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure to visit our website at trainright.com forward slash podcast, where you can find social links, bonus content, and more about CTS. Go ahead and subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss a show and leave us a rating on iTunes. Until next time, train hard, train smart, train right.